0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website libertyfamilychurch.net.au Good morning, Liberty Family Church, and good morning if you are visiting online with us today. I hope you've enjoyed drawing closer to God and each other so far this morning. This morning we're going to open our Bibles now and we're going to centre our thoughts in the book of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament of the Bible, and it was written by one of Jesus' twelve disciples. Matthew was also called Levi, son of Alphaeus, and he worked as a tax collector before leaving That work and becoming a disciple and an apostle of Jesus. Matthew's gospel is written to reveal and confirm the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, a term which refers to the one anointed and sent by God to save mankind from sin and death. And Matthew makes this claim of Jesus. Identity in the very first verse of chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Matthew writes, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The identity of Jesus is front and centre in Matthew's gospel. And as we read through his gospel, Matthew records. The different reactions and thoughts that various people of the day had about Jesus' identity. Some saw Jesus just as a carpenter, uh, the son of, of Mary and Joseph, simply a man like any other with brothers and sisters just like you and I. But others, like many of the religious leaders, saw Jesus as a blasphemer and a threat to their religious authority. There are lots of stories and events recorded through Matthew's Gospel that give witness to Jesus' identity. Jesus' virgin birth, his miracles, Old Testament prophecies fulfilled, Jesus' teaching and voices from heaven, all give witness to Jesus' identity. And the people of his day were continually challenged to decide who Jesus really is. But when we get to chapter 16 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus questions his disciples. He asks his disciples the same question, who do people say that I am? And then he asks his disciples a similar question, who do you say I am? It's a question we all need to ask ourselves. And it's a question that Jesus asks of each one of us, you and me. Who do you say that I am? And in Matthew's Gospel, Peter answers on behalf of all the disciples and gives an answer as solid as a rock. But in the very next breath, Peter trips up on his own words and is Ideas about Jesus become a stumbling block. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Well, like Peter, how we answer this question can either be a rock or a stumbling block for our lives. And like Peter, whether you cling to the rock or whether you stumble and fall, that will determine whether you can enjoy the view from the top of the mountain. Over the coming weeks and through a a series of three messages, I invite you to explore this question with me. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And I've called this series The Rock, The Stumbling Block, and The Mountain. And today's message is called The Rock, And we begin in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. So let's read it together now from the NIV Bible. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah Not long before this, Jesus had just taken some heat from a group of Pharisees and Sadducees that had come to test him out. They didn't believe that Jesus had come down from heaven, so instead they asked him for a sign from heaven. They couldn't recognise the signs of the times, the signs of all that Jesus taught, his miracles and the prophecies that pointed to Jesus' identity. So many people were just not getting who Jesus was. Well, in Jesus' own words, the blind would have to be left to lead the blind. But my disciples, my disciples, do they get it? Do they understand and get who I am? This was crucial for Jesus' plans for humanity and for you and me. The future depended on it. The disciples had to get it right. So Jesus takes his disciples away from the crowds, away from the naysayers, far away from the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He takes them to a place called Caesarea Philippi, 40 kilometres north of the Sea of Galilee at the foot of Mount Hermon. This was at the far north boundary of the territory that God had given to the nation of Israel when they came out of Egyptian slavery 1,500 years before Christ. You can see in these next photos Mount Hermon from a distance from the Sea of Galilee. Up there in the quiet, at the foot of the mountain, a place far from the maddening crowd, the disciples are given some clear air to form and inform their decision. Who do you say I am? Let's pause for just a moment. What about you today? What about you? Have you stepped away from the noise of the crowd? Have you recluded to a quiet place? Have you given yourself enough clear air to form your own personal opinion and answer Jesus' question. Who do you say I am? Well, maybe that's what you need to do today. You know, it's it's so hard to think clearly when people or things are distracting you. At the moment, Year 12 students are in the middle of their final examination period. But heaven knows how some students can study effectively with the television on in front of them or or loud music bleating in their ears. And yet that's exactly what some students try and do. And heaven knows how anyone could answer Jesus' question without clear air to make an informed decision. So I encourage you today, give yourself some clear air. Give yourself the necessary time and space, to consider Jesus' question. Who do you say that I am? But before that, that, Jesus asked his disciples this question, another question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man. This was a, a title, the Son of Man, that Jesus often used when referring to himself. And it's a, a title that signifies many things. In one sense, it refers to Jesus' humanity, a descendant of Abraham, just like the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, when he was called by God to speak on behalf of God. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. So when Jesus uses this title, Son of Man, he's also referring to himself as a human being, a descendant of Adam, just like Ezekiel in his call by God and just like you and me. But in another sense, less well understood or recognised by the people of his day, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man in relation to the words of another Old Testament prophet, Daniel. Daniel wrote in his book in chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 these words in reference to the Son of Man. Daniel had a vision at night and he wrote, In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The prophet Daniel, living in Babylon around 550 years ago, before Christ, has a vision of heaven in which he sees someone who looks like a man, someone who looks like us, approaching the throne of God. But this person was given power and authority and glory far above any other man, any ordinary man. Someone who is worshipped by people from every nation on earth and given authority and to rule for eternity. So in one sense, when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, he's identifying himself as fully human, someone, something that was perfectly obvious to everyone of his day. But in another sense, Jesus deliberately uses this term for those who might consider him to be more than just any ordinary man. So how about you today? Have you considered that Jesus is more than just an ordinary man? So Jesus asked his disciples, who do people think that he is? Do they think I'm an ordinary man just like any other? Or do they think I'm something more than that? Obviously many people were thinking that there's something special about him, something different about him. But what? Jesus is teaching and saying a lot about God and he's performing many miracles. No one can deny that. So maybe he's another prophet sent by God. That's what many people had concluded according to his disciples. Maybe Jesus is John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets come back to life. Many people were saying that Jesus was a prophet just Another prophet in a long line of prophets. What made Jesus so special? Well, certainly that's what his opponents thought and were saying. And that's what many people still think today. Jesus was a prophet, a teacher, a good man. Nothing more, nothing less. But what did his disciples think? This was crucial. So Jesus asks his disciples the question he asks each one of us today. Who do you say I am? Forget about what other people might think or say. Who do you say that I am? Now the question was addressed to all of the disciples, but Peter answers on behalf of the group. And in verse 16, Peter's answer is, you are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Big call, Peter. Big call. Brave call. The word Messiah is Hebrew for anointed one, which translates in the Greek to Christ. So hence we have Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Peter declares that Jesus is the Anointed One foretold by the Old Testament prophets, and in particular, the prophet Daniel. Daniel was in Babylon, as we said just a moment ago, 550 years or more before Jesus was born. And Daniel was praying to God, confessing the sins of his people, the nation of Israel, when the angel Gabriel came from heaven with a word for Daniel. And the angel Gabriel said this to Daniel, which he recorded in chapter 9, verse 25. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. In the preceding verse, in verse 24, the angel Gabriel tells Daniel that the anointed one sent by God would put an end to sin, atone for wickedness and bring in everlasting righteousness. This was the mission of the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ. And Peter recognised and declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Anointed One. But more than that, Peter declared that Jesus was and is the Son of the Living God. Jesus had and has a very special relationship with God. A relationship so special that God would audibly speak from heaven to confirm it at Jesus' baptism with these words that Matthew also recorded in chapter 3, verse 17. A voice from heaven said, This is my son, with him whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Peter recognised that Jesus was the Son of God. But before Peter could get too cocky about his superior inside and intellectual understanding, Jesus pulls him up. Jesus pulls the rug under his feet. You know what, Peter? You didn't nut this out entirely for yourself, you know. Don't think you're smarter than you really are. You didn't figure this out all by your own doing. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by God my Father in heaven. God has revealed this to you." You know, I think it's much the same for you and me. There comes a time when after all our research, after all our study, all our reading, when we think we've inquired and and sought after God to the ends of our ability, when we've reasoned and rationalised and weighed up all the evidence, a degree of uncertainty still remains. And it's in this moment we can empty ourselves and we can cry out to God, out loud or in silence, Where are you? Who are you? God, show me if you're real. And I believe that it's in this moment of humility when we come to God like little children, not trusting in our own wisdom or knowledge, the things of flesh and blood, but rather seeking to know God by relationship, seeking a personal introduction, wanting to meet face to face with God and shake hands with God, so to speak. I believe it's in that moment that God introduces himself. To us, And suddenly the lights go on. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's the moment that Peter had. And I believe that in that moment for us too, God reveals and confirms to our spirit that Jesus is his anointed Son, the Messiah, the Christ, the Saviour sent from heaven to earth to put an end to sin to atone for wickedness and to bring in everlasting righteousness for those who would put their faith in Jesus and in that Peter moment in that Peter moment we are truly blessed by God blessed to know the truth about God's son his identity Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So Jesus then declares Peter and his declaration to be a rock. Jesus declares Peter and his declaration to be a rock, a rock on which Jesus would build his church. The church of Jesus Christ will be built on Peter and the other apostles as they declare the truth about Jesus Christ, his identity as the son of the living God and his mission to save us from our sins. A truth that the apostles and those later taught by the apostles would record as authors of the New Testament. The apostles and their teaching would be a rock, the foundation on which the church would be built. This would be the solid foundation of the church, as expressed by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household. That's the church. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. This declaration of Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the living God, the cornerstone of the church would be binding for all who hear it just as you hear it today. Jesus declares that the apostles had been given the keys to the kingdom Heaven. This truth about Jesus' identity, the Messiah, the Son of God, this was the key that would unlock the door to the kingdom of heaven. And as the apostles declared this truth, either by spoken word or later by written word as they wrote the New Testament, this truth would be the door that would unlock the kingdom of heaven. And as the apostles declared this truth, people would be given two choices, the same choice that you and I have today. People could either accept or reject this truth, the truth of his identity and his mission. If people accepted this truth and received Jesus as their saviour, then they would be loosed or freed from their sin and death, both on earth now and in heaven. The truth of the apostles teaching about Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, was the rock on which Jesus would build his church. And Jesus goes on to say that the gates of Hades would not overcome his church. What did Jesus mean by these words, the gates? Of Hades will not overcome my church. Well the gate of Hades or the Gates of Hades is a biblical term that simply refers to death. The term Hades literally means not to see. You don't see when you're dead. Hades or the gates of Hades literally refers to death. So what Jesus is saying is that death itself will not prevail against his church. Now, the church is not about the buildings. It's not about the bricks and the mortar. It's not about the chairs and the pews. The word church refers to the people, and it refers to a people called by God, called out of the world by God to put their faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the anointed one. And the promise of Jesus is that death, the gates of Hades, will not overcome those who put their faith in him. Wow! That is such good news. That is the gospel. Jesus has promised us resurrection from death and eternal life in the presence of God's glory. And to prove it and to help us believe it, He led by example. Jesus suffered death to pay the penalty for our sins and was resurrected to life on the third day to prove the price for our sins, yours and mine, had been paid and it was acceptable to God the Father. And the Apostle Paul summarises this truth about Jesus, his death and his resurrection, in his letter to the church in Rome in chapter 4. Verse 25 of the book of Romans. Regarding Jesus, Paul writes, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus rose from the dead to prove to his disciples that death would no longer have a hold on us, that the gates of Hades would not have any power over us, that we would also experience the same resurrection and enjoy the presence of God that Jesus experienced. That is the hope of all who accept Jesus by faith and are loosed or set free from the power of sin and death. That's the side of history I want to be a part of. What about you today? I said before that we're given two choices to either accept or reject the apostles rock the truth about Jesus identity and his mission Jesus so what about the other choice those who reject this truth Jesus declares that those who reject the truth declared by his apostles would remain bound or captive by sin and death. And that's the side of history I don't want to be a part of. I don't want to be bound by my sin and separated from God for eternity. I'd much rather the first alternative. What about you today? On one hand free from sin and death to enjoy a fantastic future and on the other hand bound by sin and death, to an eternity excluded from the presence of God. This is the choice we have today. What will you choose today? If you are yet to choose Jesus, yet to accept the truth of his identity as declared by his apostles yet to accept and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, sent to save us from sin, then I encourage you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ today. Jesus told his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah because he had not yet died for your sins or for mine. But now... The price for our sins has been paid, as Tim shared earlier as we celebrated Communion. The price for our sins has been paid. And Jesus tells his disciples, You and me, to tell everyone the good news, the gospel. And that is what Matthew did as he wrote his gospel. And that is what we have shared today. This is the gospel. And it's such good news. Perhaps someone listening today has heard the gospel. Perhaps someone has come to the end of their flesh and blood. You've done your research. You've spent some time in the clear air at the foot of the mountain. And in this hour, you believe that God has revealed to you the identity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God the Messiah, the anointed one sent by God to set you free from sin and death. If that's you today, then I invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ right now as we pray together. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you that you came from heaven to earth to set us free. You came as the Anointed One, sent by God. You are the Christ, the Messiah. We pray that you would forgive us for our sins on the basis that we put our faith in you, that you died in our place on a cross of Calvary outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. We thank you that you paid the price in full. And God, our Father in heaven, we thank you that we are justified now because you accepted that sacrifice of Jesus in our place. Forgive us for our sins, for Jesus' sake. Send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to give us new life and help us to enjoy your presence and the freedom that you give us in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.